during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. Early on in World War II, as the enemy was encroaching in on the U.S. bases in the Philippines, General Douglas MacArthur was ordered to make a quick evacuation. Very reluctantly, we are told he left for Australia, and upon arrival on the shores of our country, he said these words, I came through, and I shall return. Those were the words that the people of the Philippines whom he had left behind held on to for the next two and a half years. Then, on October 20, 1944, two and a half years after MacArthur had made this promise, General MacArthur waded ashore under sniper fire and he returned to retake the Philippines. Upon his arrival then, he reported, People of the Philippines, I have returned. MacArthur's speech gave so much hope to those whom he left behind, but the speech that we are about to look at right now, the words of the Bible that we are about to study right now offer us so much more hope than that speech did back then. In fact, listen with me to the words of Jesus in John 14 verses 1 through 3. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus says, I will not forget you. I will come back for you. I will deliver you. And by the way, this is interesting. In Jewish culture, when a man loved a woman, proposed to her and she said yes, she would go back to her home, she would prepare her wedding attire and pack her things and wait for him to come. But before the two separated, the groom would say something like this to his bride, his intended bride, I am going to prepare a place for you, but I will come back for you. Sound familiar? Friends, when Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, he was using wedding language because a groom, after he had said those words, he would go back to his father's house and build onto that house a room where he would one day come and bring his intended bride to when he was all ready. And so Jesus, as he is using wedding language here, he helps us to realize something remarkable. The first time Jesus came, it was like he came to offer to the human race a wedding proposal on the cross he was saying I love you this much this is how much I want you to be with me will you be my bride will you be my people he left the first time to go and prepare a place for us the Bible says and I don't know any groom that forgets about his bride he's not sending someone else to come back for us Jesus says I will come again. In fact, the return of Jesus is the most referenced subject in the Bible. It receives over a thousand references. And in the New Testament alone, every 25 verses resounds with the joyous theme of Jesus' soon return. This is not a maybe I'll come back. This is a promise that Jesus has made. In fact, if you go to the Bible's last book, Revelation reveals just exactly how Jesus will come. Notice with me these powerful verses. Revelation 14, 14 says this, Then I looked and behold, a white cloud, 
and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Jesus comes with a golden crown on his head. No crown of thorns on his brow this time. He is coming back with a diadem of glory. He comes not to be crucified on a cross, but to rule on a throne. He comes not to be judged by men, but to judge all men, the Bible tells us. He comes not with hands to be nailed to a cross, but in his hand, the Bible says, he comes with a sharp sickle to reap a harvest. Jesus is coming back as a king, as the king of kings and lord of lords. The same theme is picked up in Revelation 19 verse 11. There John says, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Jesus is Revelation's knight in shining armor. And here John sees him riding on a white horse. And you say, why the white horse? Well, this is interesting. In Roman times, when a Roman general conquered an enemy and he would come back, he would lead back the victory procession riding on a white horse as a sign of triumph and victory. And he would bring behind him the spoils of war. And as he entered into Rome, the people would bow because they were giving him the respect of a triumphant king. Jesus, the Bible tells us, he's coming back as a victorious, triumphant king. The last time Jesus came to this earth, the Bible says he came as a little baby born into poverty, but the next time he comes, he's coming with power. Revelation eleven fifteen says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. I added a few evers there. But the Bible ends gloriously. And the book of Revelation, it is a majestic book because it tells us Jesus is coming as King of Kings. He puts an end to sin. He's going to vanquish the enemies that have been trying to attack his people. He's going to come and smash down wickedness. He's not going to come back sneaking in, the Bible tells us. No, this is no secret entrance that we've been reading about. He's going to make a glorious entrance. So what will that glorious entrance look like, you might ask? Good question. Many people in our world today are seeking answers about how the world will end. It's no question. Ask scientists. This world cannot go on much longer at the rate we are abusing it. And so they're looking for answers and they're looking to star signs and fortune tellers and Nostradamus and many have guessed at how the world will end. But Jesus doesn't guess at how the world will end. In fact, Bible prophecy doesn't need to because God who gave it knows exactly how it will end. What many people believe about the end of time is really just a kernel of truth and a lot of imagination. It doesn't matter how it might sell. And if it's not founded on God's word, you can be certain it's not true. The coming of Jesus is not a vague idea. The coming of Jesus is specific. He is coming again. God's end time plan, we're about to step through it together right now. It's very important that we understand how he will come because Jesus actually warned us against false comings. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. How can we know the difference between a false Christ and the real Christ? There's only one way. 
We must know the real Christ. We must know the truth. We must know what the Bible says because what the Bible says is what God says. Satan is going to try and deceive many people in our world on this subject. In fact, one of his last great deceptions will be to try and imitate the second coming of Jesus where Satan himself will appear on this earth claiming to be Christ. But when we know the real Jesus, guess what? We will not be satisfied with any fake news about the coming of Jesus. We will wait for the real thing. We will wait for for the real coming, the real Jesus. And so let's step through now some important identifiers of the real coming of Jesus. The Bible tells us that the coming of Jesus will be literal. It'll be a literal event. Now, After the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible tells us 40 days after that, Jesus was teaching his disciples and one day he stepped forward and instead of going down, the Bible says he started going up until soon he disappeared from the side of earth and he was received into heaven. And as his disciples watched him go up, they were left wondering, will this be the last time we see him? We love him. Will we ever see him again? And there were two angels that were standing by and this is what they said in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 11. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Ah, Don't miss what the angel said. This same Jesus, the same Jesus who raised the dead, The same Jesus who fed the 5,000. The same Jesus who opened the eyes of the blind. This same Jesus is coming back. And how is he coming back? In the same way that he left. In other words, he left at a point in time. He's coming back at a point in time. He ascended to heaven with a glorious body and he's going to come back with a glorious body. The coming of Jesus is not some gushy feeling. It's a real thing. It's going to be a real event. He's coming back literally and personally, not figuratively and spiritually. In fact, if you look at the passage in the book of Acts, notice all the visual words that are used here in the passage. They were watching. They looked, behold, and gazing and saw. This leads me to my second point. Not only is the coming of Jesus a literal event, but the Bible teaches us that it will be a visible event. Revelation 1 verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. When the Bible says every eye, guess what? It means every eye. If it didn't mean every eye, it would say some eyes. CNN will not be breaking this event to us. No, not just every eye of the saved will see him, but the Bible teaches even those who don't want to see him, they're going to see him come. We'll address this and come back to this in just a moment. But look at this in Matthew 24 verse 27. Here the Bible says, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
When lightning flashes, even if you close your eyes, it's unmissable. And so it will be with the coming of Jesus. As the disciples saw him visibly go into heaven, we will see him visibly return from heaven. And notice also that the coming of Jesus, the Bible teaches, is not just literal, visible, but it is also an audible event. You know, I have to pause here and just say this, because there are many Christians even in our world today who believe that the coming of Jesus will be secret. And they think that he's going to come and he's going to secretly rapture away the righteous. And for example, you might have a scenario like this. A plane might be flying and the pilot might be raptured away and his passengers will be left on a plane without a pilot because that's how Jesus is going to come. There are movies about this and books that have been written about it and it has popularized this theory. In Matthew 24 verse 43, Jesus likened his coming to the coming of a thief in the night. Have you ever had a thief break into your home? Or have you ever broken into somebody's home? No thief announces when they're going to come. And so it is when Jesus says that he's coming like a thief, he is saying that he will come at a time when he is least expected, when no one is expecting him. He is speaking of the timing of his coming, not of the manner in which he will come. He is not sneaking back. And this is how I know, because the loudest verse in all the Bible talks about his coming. Check this out. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself, I love that, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a whisper, No, with the shout, with the shout of victory and triumph, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Nobody shouts a secret. This is a rapture, yes, but it's not a secret one. I had a piano teacher when I was growing up. She was an excellent musician. She actually was an examiner at the Conservatorium of Music in Sydney. And I remember she was always trying to motivate me to practice. And when I came to visit her for the lesson, if I made a mistake, she'd slap me on the fingers or she'd hit me on my arm and she'd say, do that again and I'll blow up. Or I'm on the warpath and I really... It really worked because it spoke fear into me and I believed that something just might happen if I did make another mistake. But one day, as I was playing a piece and I added a few notes that were not in the music, she exclaimed, Ah, if Mozart could hear that, he'd turn in his grave. The Bible tells us that the dead in Christ are going to do more than turn in their graves when Jesus comes. The Bible says that they're going to be raised from the dead. Another thing the, the verse mentions is the trumpet of God. You know, in my family, my dad, my sister, and I, we all played the trumpet. And actually, I married a man who also plays the trumpet, so it's like a family thing. My great-grandfather, from Samoa he came, came from Samoa, he could actually play two trumpets at once. But I remember when we were growing up and we would choose to practice the trumpet, whether the neighborhood wanted to listen in or not, they had to hear it because it was so loud. The Bible tells us when Jesus comes, there is a trumpet blast and the dead will wake up. Have you buried a loved one? Have you buried a loved one? When Jesus comes again, the Bible says 
The graves are going to pop open of the friends of Jesus like popcorn on a hot stove. They will be raised to life and they're going to be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. I have often thought about this verse as I have walked through a cemetery and thought to myself that these graveyards that we have on this earth, the places of our greatest sorrows will one day become the most exciting places to be when Jesus comes because the dead are going to wake up from their sleep of death. Their graves are going to be ripped open as they rise up to meet Jesus in the air with new perfect bodies in the prime of health. Friends, what a wonderful family reunion will take place when Jesus comes. Children will be reunited with their parents. Lovers whom death has torn apart will be reunited in the air. Friends that death separated will again be reunited when Jesus comes. I long for that day when he comes. The return of Jesus will be a literal, visible, and definitely audible event. But there's more. The Bible also says it will be a glorious event. Notice Matthew 24, verse 30. It says, The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This will be the greatest event of all time. Matthew 25, verse 31 says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, he then He will sit on the throne of His glory. Can you imagine it? I mean, this is going to make the New Year's Eve fireworks on Sydney Harbour look like child's play. And even that is a poor comparison. Imagine looking up into the sky and seeing billions of shining angels and Jesus in the midst of them coming down from heaven. Friends, this leads me to the next point. The coming of Jesus is not just a glorious event, but it's a climactic event. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, speaking of death, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we just talked about that, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This is not make-believe. This is real. 1 Corinthians 15.53 says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Not only are the dead going to be raised to life and given new and perfect bodies when Jesus comes, but God is going to give all who are alive and ready to meet Him when He comes brand new bodies as well. Bodies that will never grow old and never get sick. We're not going to need glasses anymore. No more wheelchairs. No more headaches. No more heartaches. No more hurt. No more pain. In fact, remember the book of Daniel. We studied this together. Lyle did with us in Daniel chapter 2. God gave Nebuchadnezzar an incredible dream that outlined the rise and fall of nations that spanned over 2,000 years, even right down to our time today. And in that dream, there was a stone, the Bible says, that came and it struck the image on its feet and it turned the whole image into dust. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, we are told what that stone represented. It was a symbol of the coming of Jesus, of his coming kingdom. And notice what it says. It says, In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom 
which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In fact, the coming of Jesus is going to be such a climactic event that the Bible tells us that it is going to rend the earth. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 16, verses 18 and 20. It says, And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Then every island, verse 20, fled away, and the mountains were not found. There's going to be a great earthquake. The Bible describes islands sinking and it describes mountains falling. Our planet is going to be devastated, really. It's going to be, it's going to quake at the coming of Jesus. Satan, no matter how much he might try to imitate the coming of Jesus, he can never replicate this kind of coming. In fact, only the real Jesus can raise people from the dead anyhow. Only the real Jesus can give us glorious and immortal bodies. Finally, the coming of Jesus is literal, it's visible, it's audible, it's glorious, it's climactic. But the Bible also tells us that the coming of Jesus will be a decisive event. There are only going to be two groups of people on this earth when Jesus comes back. The saved and the lost. The righteous and the unrighteous. Those who are ready for Jesus to come and those who are not ready. Those who are ready, the Bible says, greet Jesus like this with these words in Isaiah 25 verse 9. They will say, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. They know Jesus. They see Jesus and they recognize him. This is our God. But the lost will say something very different. In Revelation chapter 6 verse 16, it says this. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. What is the wrath of the Lamb all about? Well, the Lamb is Jesus, and his wrath is his judgment. You see, when Jesus comes, we're either going to be caught up to meet him in the air, or we're going to be destroyed, the Bible says, by the brightness of his coming. We're going to want the rocks and the hills to fall on us and hide us from his coming and his glory. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, the Bible says, Our God is a consuming fire. And in the same way that the same sun that melts butter hardens clay, it's two different materials but has two different effects, sin is a combustible material. And if you and I hold on to sin, if we cling to sin, play with sin, or we play with Christianity and have a hard-hearted, half-hearted relationship with Jesus, then when Jesus comes, the sin that we've held on to in our hearts will cause us to be consumed by the brightness of his coming. The wicked cannot bear the sight of Jesus. There's no second chance when Jesus comes, which means right now, is the day when we must choose if we will be ready for him to come. We must make a choice for Jesus today. At the resurrection of Jesus, you may recall that the sight of just one angel, it knocked the whole Roman guard off their feet. But what about the impact of a sky filled with thousands, billions of glorious angels and Jesus and his glory there in the midst as well? Sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. So I caution you, do not play around with sin. But 
for those who have come to Jesus and claimed his forgiveness, who have said, Lord, please forgive me. I accept you as my Savior. When Jesus comes, because he has forgiven them of their sin, guess what? It is like some gigantic magnetic pull draws them to the one that they love. There's just two classes. And my question to you is this, which class are you part of? The coming of Jesus is literal, visible, audible, glorious, climactic, and decisive. When Jesus comes, there's seismic upheavals in the earth. The righteous dead are raised and given new bodies. The righteous living are changed. We are given immortality. The wicked living are destroyed. The righteous welcome Jesus and the righteous will be going to heaven with Jesus where they will live forever and ever. As I conclude, there's a story about a little boy who loved this particular country and western book series that he was reading and he would sign up for it and the next book would come in the mail and one day he went to the mailbox and there was a familiar looking brown paper package he took it inside ripped it open and there was the next book in the series and he loved this series of country and western books because the hero was a man named sheriff brown Sheriff Brown was always putting the baddies in jail. He was always doing good and he was always bringing in justice and he just wanted to be like Sheriff Brown one day himself. But on this day, as he started reading this book, his excitement turned to discouragement. It seemed there was this new villain in this book in the series who looked like he was about to take Sheriff Brown right out. And so he closed the book and he thought, I'm not going to read that anymore. A few days later, his mother was walking in the house and she heard him shout, If you only knew what I knew! She was puzzled, so she went to his room. She walked in and she said, What are you talking about? And he looked up at her and he was holding the book and he was reading it. He said, Ma, do you remember how I was reading this book the other day and how it looked like Sheriff Brown was going to be beaten by that bad guy? He said, well, I just couldn't let my curiosity rest. And so I decided I would go to the back of the book and I'd see what really happens. And mom, I went to the back of the book and Sheriff Brown won. And so now I've gone back to where I left off. And as I'm reading through the story, mom, every time I see that bad guy, I just think to myself, if he only knew what I knew. Friends, when we go to the back of the book, we see something remarkable. We see that God will triumph. We see, in fact, in the final chapter of the Bible's last book, Jesus says this three times. I am coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly, he says. Our heavenly bridegroom has made this promise to you. There are many things in this world which don't have the ending that we look for. You might see a movie and you might wish it ended a different way. You might read a book and it has an ending and it lets you down. But let me assure you that this end that the Bible promises to us is an end we can look forward to. Titus 2 verse 13 calls it the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. A pandemic is not going to wipe us out. An asteroid is not going to knock us out. A nuclear bomb is not going to blow us up. The end of this world as we know it will come when Jesus comes with all the angels of heaven in the sky. We are not just looking for something to happen, to borrow the words of Vance Havner. We are looking for someone to come. The question is, what should our attitude be to the coming of Jesus? 
I think it should be the same as that of John in the Bible's last chapter. After Jesus told him, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly, the response of John in Revelation 22 and verse 20 said this, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? There's only one way to be ready, and that is to give your heart to Jesus today. The subject that we have just studied together is a really exciting subject. And I don't know, but maybe it's the first time you may have even heard of it. The second coming of Jesus is a wonderful event to look forward to. It's going to be glorious and powerful, literal and visible and audible. But not only that, it's going to be personal. You see, Jesus is coming back for you. And that's why He has led you to view this presentation right now. God wants for you to be ready when Jesus comes. And so I want to invite you to make a decision for Jesus. Not for me, but for Jesus. We are living in an exciting time. We are living right before the greatest event of all time. And so I invite you to make your decision for Jesus today. You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.